Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. on today's show. Marie Payne is one of the founders and currently the president of Arts on the Credit, a nonprofit arts organization providing opportunities for local Greater Toronto artists to show and sell their work. Marie has had several past lives, including over 35 years as a primary public school teacher, 30 plus years as a textile artist, focusing on weaving and dyeing, and was a partner with her husband in a yarn business for several years. Along the way, Marie has had a family and now has two grandchildren to further inspire. She has a rich life that keeps her busy and is well-connected to her local arts community. Please help me welcome Marie Payne to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Yeah, loving this summer. Wish it would last a little longer. Winter, not my favorite time. I think we'd all like summer to last a little longer. (laughs) Let's start with your Arts on the Credit involvement. How did that come about? You started this organization, was it 12 years ago? Yeah, about 12 years ago. Initially, I was on the board for another show. It was called the Wearable Art Show, Strictly Wearables. Because at that time, I was weaving and working with another gal, Josette Lauks, and she was a young Toronto designer. So she would take handwoven fabrics and construct original jackets and sometimes longer garments, depending on the fabric. She just let the fabrics tell her what they should be more or less Mm -hmm. and so I was on the board for the wearable art show I was delivering flyers in the neighborhood about their show and I bumped into a lady a couple blocks away from home and she was out working in her garden and we got chatting about shows and she was an artist, also a mosaics artist. So her work was pretty heavy to cart around, mine mm-hmm. not so much. And we were both just kind of in the middle of working on different events. But after chatting, we decided we were kind of tired of packing up, displaying, unpacking, moving around. And thought it might be a good idea to have an art tour where we could stay at home. People come to us. That completely makes sense. That that's kind of the initial seed, but we were too busy at the time. So we said, let's just set it aside till next year when we're clear of what we're doing at the moment and sit down and talk about it. And we gathered a few local artists together and it was really a cooperative effort to get it off the ground. 
this was an art tour that started and it was in the neighborhood and everyone seemed to enjoy that aspect of it. And meanwhile, you know, you attend other events and we attended oh several here and there around Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington area and decided we should have something in Mississauga. And there was nothing. And at that time, it was basically craftsmen we were working with and artisans. Mm-hmm. There was no place for us to show in Mississauga. So that also was an impetus to start something going. And so it evolved into that initial studio tour, but it did evolve into a bigger show. Yes. Well, we decided we needed that in addition to the tour. So we kept the tour going all along. But we added an indoor art show a couple of years later. It must take a lot of organization to do that type of show. There is a lot of organization involved, but you know, I had done shows personally for, I don't know, many years. I've got to be 30 years with my weaving and then with Josette with the wearables. So, you know, when you do shows from the artist viewpoint, you're always thinking the organizer could do better, <laughs> especially sales are going well. That makes sense. You're always like looking at it from your own perspective. Right. I'm coming at it with all the criticisms in my head that I have had over the years. It shows this should be done. That should be done. So you kind of know what should be done. And that's all there is to it. Like you just work your way around those things and make sure they get done and to the best of your ability with the finances you might have at the time. And does that translate? Does it work? Like when you take that perspective? I think it does, because we've always been able to meet any costs that have come up, and we've generally grown. The organization from the get-go has really grown. Like, I had no long-range plan. Neither Sue, who helped found it, nor I had any long-range plans whatsoever. It was all kind of immediate. Let's do this and see what happens. I can relate to that right now. (laughs) Right, exactly. But, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, one show that didn't work too well. Well, I'd been in many, so... It uh, was not a a huge threat. And we had an image of what we wanted. We wanted uh, fine art and fine craft to coexist because Mm -hmm. we were both artisans rather than fine artists, painters, and so on. So we want them to coexist and we want to bring up the artisan world and just show that it is also art. So that was one of the goals in starting it. So, you know, we had a lot of connections in the artisan market, but not so much in the fine art painting. So we put it out there and it was just a matter of connections. You know, one artist would know another artist would know another artist and mapped out the space at the Waterside Inn and Port Credit. We chose it because it's the nicest place and we wanted to be near home. Like that was the whole reason Mm -hmm. for starting this, to make our lives easier. We went in there and kind of came away from the first meeting, not knowing how we were going to make it work because they didn't really understand what we were proposing. Mm -hmm. 
they came back with the statement, well, we're a hotel here. You have to take rooms or food. You can't just rent space in the ballroom. So we decided, okay, the easiest thing to do is feed the artists. (laughs) That's a good way around it. (laughs) Not try and sell tickets to a dinner and show, because we were just starting and, you know, wanted it the least complicated as possible. So... I think that's a great solution, considering that that was their parameters. Yeah, that was one of their parameters. And we must have been in there two or three times crawling around the floor to measure it out. And they just said, you don't have to do that. You know, it's fine. And we insisted we had to do that because the building plans that they shared with us, you know, just weren't terribly accurate. They were close, but not exact. We only used two portions of the ballroom for the first five years. And then year five is part of the celebration. We opened it up because by that time we were developing a waiting list to get into the show. So we opened it up full ballroom, made such a difference. And then we can fit in 42 artists. So there's usually 42 artists involved. Mm-hmm. If you go to our website, artsonthecredit.ca, there is a page for the art tour, which has become, since COVID, an arts drive. And then the fine art show, which is switching up this year, too, because of COVID. So this year, we're planning, there's no guarantee these days, but we're Mm -hmm. planning an indoor show in November at the Waterside, which will be probably fewer artists just Mm -hmm. to allow more space for visitors to move around. Mm -hmm. However, we wanted to get on with life and the artists have been painting And working and making art all this time and with nowhere to put it except online, which is a little iffy. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And so we're trying, we're plodding along and we're going to try and have an indoor show in November. We'll see. All you can do is plan and see what happens these days. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed that that does come true because it'd be great to get back to some events for sure. You mentioned that your past life was a weaver. So can we tell me a little bit about how you got into that and, you know, where that is in your life now? Well, I think it was around 1971 or 72 when my husband and I bought our first home that somehow I think textiles were always in my life because that generation of women before me, like my mom and aunts and grandma, they all did something, embroidered, so knit, they all worked with yarn and threads. Mm-hmm. So I always say that was just in me, but nobody had wolves. So maybe I just wanted to do something they hadn't done, mm-hmm. but with threads and yarns. So I took a course. My first course was at Humber College part-time with, and I remember the, the instructor was Susan Gear. Mm-hmm. I think she still weaves. I'm not sure. I lost track of her because it's almost 50 years ago now. And I took many courses with her. She made it lovely. She would step in and do some stuff when you weren't there to keep things moving forward because it's a labor-intensive craft. 
I did that in Bottleloom and carried on for many years and got involved with the Weavers Guild in Mississauga. Mm-hmm. And was president there for a few years at one point and still keep in touch with several of those ladies from the guild. And in fact, with those ladies now is our bookkeeper for Arts and the Credit, which Mm is wonderful. Yeah, the connections are really important that we make. Well, it's kind of an interesting, when you look back at your life, the connections you made along the way and how they're integrated into your life or not. And it's just amazing to me. It's like there was this unknown plan and it's just brought me to where I am now without without any planning on my point. I, I never would have planned to be organizing an art show ever in my life. But all your experiences have led you there. Yes. Yeah, so you did mention my teaching career. So that kind of ate up a good chunk of my life, but taught me organization and planning for sure. Mm-hmm. And dealing with people too, I think, because you run into all sorts, you know, administration, parents, children, siblings, and the whole gamut. So even that really has an influence because you can't run a show like Arts and the Credit without organization, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And some of those people that you've met along the way, they just fit into that. You mentioned when you were weaving that it's a laborious time process based craft. Mm-hmm. Can you go into that a little bit more for anybody who doesn't know what weaving entails and what it's like? Sure. It involves lots of things that probably are problematic to people now because it involves space, because Mm -hmm. you need a loom. How big is a loom? Well, they vary. You can get a table loom that's 12 to 15 inches in width, and it sits on a table, but it's very noisy And it's not as smooth as if you had a loom that sat on the floor. You work with your feet and your hands. They, the, the floor looms vary from around 27 inches to about five feet in width. And then there's the depth from front to back, which is fairly deep Mm -hmm. and heavy. The bigger you get, of course, the heavier they are. And there's what are called heddles. And it's like having a needle. You have to thread every single one. One thread goes in every single one Mm -hmm. to make your pattern. has to be in a specific order to get the pattern you want in your cloth. So the setup of the loom takes quite a lot of time and turns off a lot of people. But if you want to weave, you have to go through it. So, and mm-hmm. a story, you know. So you just put on some music and go to it. Maybe not do it all in one shot, depending mm-hmm. on, on the width you're weaving. I, I became in, involved in dyeing the yarn. And once you do that, you have to do your own dyeing to get any interesting coloration going on. So that adds more time and planning because you have to have that done first. Weavers dye their own yarns or do they purchase them? Or does it vary? It varies quite a bit depending on what they're doing. And some weavers will be doing more functional things like tea towels and and runners and so on 
where it's not necessarily important to have a whole lot of coloration going on. Mm -hmm. But I would say weavers that are involved in anything wearable would be more apt to get involved in the dye process so that they can control. You had a public studio for a while at Glen Williams. What was that like? We did. Josette and I shared a studio uh, upstairs in the yellow building there. And it was lovely. It was a bit of a drive. I mean, Josette lived in Toronto, so I would pick her up at the go in Port Credit and we would drive up. There again, that was probably 20 plus years ago now. And it was more countrified than it is now. So it was a lovely drive. It, it was lovely. We would dr- make that drive three or four times a uh, week. It's like most studios, really. Th- there weren't huge crowds through, but they would plan for two or three festival-type event weekends, and that would bring the people through. Mm-hmm. And sometimes bus tours would stop. And so after you were done there, did you resume working in your home studio, or what was the next step? We left there primarily to get involved in the distillery because the distillery was just opening. So we were one of the first tenants down there. I didn't know that. I didn't know you were at the distillery. Uh We were down there for four or five years. We were in the Artscape building, which is the building that's the furthest south by the tracks. Artscape rented that from the owners of the whole place relatively cheaply, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was lovely. It was a wonderful atmosphere. You could visit back and forth with other artists in the building, and the coffee shop is fabulous. And yeah, we love being there. But then as as time went on, the numbers were fewer that would come through unless there was a special event there. The rent was going up, and Josette and I began booking shows. So we would do a show, and then with what we earn at the show, be paying Artscape for rent for the studio. And, you know, after you do that a few times, you think, why am I doing this? I might as well be paying myself. Mm-hmm. So we moved back to our individual studios and just carried on doing shows from there. And that just, it kind of just drifted that we weren't doing shows anymore. We formed some very long-lasting relationships and friendships. And when we first left, we created a little artware collective of five or six of us. And we would do shows that way as a group. Do you weave at all now? I don't. I did for a little while. I had a smallish loom. I think it was around 27 inches here. So over the years, I couldn't tell you how many looms I had because you would want to do something different. And I always thought I wanted this huge loom. So for a while, I had a five-foot loom. I never used a full five feet of it. So anyway, the last loom I had was sitting here, not being used for two or three years. And I was at a show in Burlington at the art center there. And someone, I don't recall her name, but she was looking for a loom and just starting out. And I said, hey, I have a loom that's not being used. And off it went. You're still creative and you're still creating. Yeah, I'm still playing around with art. 
you know, organizing these events and trying to keep them going in this crazy time we're living through. I think everybody's finding that we're trying to adapt to the new way of being and getting our work out there. How have the artists been with regards to COVID? Have you heard a lot back from them and how they're feeling or what they're wanting? You know, they're pretty positive, I must say. Uh, I know they enjoyed the Arts Drive last September that we kind of squeezed in before things went crazy. Some of them are selling online. I don't think a great deal. I would try and keep track of what they're doing so we can promote what they're up to. There have been a few events lately, and of course, lots and lots of online events. And we did begin a gallery on the website just for some means of showing recent work by the artist. So that's been good, but not a lot of sales for them, but exposure and gives a reason to be working. You know, how long can you paint and sculpt and take photographs and do nothing with them. Just accumulates like crazy. I'm sure you realize that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they're very positive. They just keep working. We have a little networking session the first Tuesday of every month online. Way back when COVID first started, we just kind of, as everybody did, kind of shut down, did nothing particularly. Mm -hmm. And then two or three months later, the artists started asking about perhaps getting together when Zoom started to become popular for at least some kind of uh, conversation. So we started that up and that's continued. And it's a great venue to meet up and network, keep things alive. I, I can't imagine where we'd all be if that hadn't taken over and got us working and talking together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a pretty fluid group on those monthly meetups. Community is really important for artists. I think most artists would agree with that. It's just having that connection. It's inspiration for us. Yes, right. And I mean, they're the ones that really instigated that and pushed for it. We have had one speaker this past while and probably will have a couple more. Everything depends on finances in this life, of course. But just the networking aspect and finding out what they're all doing and if they have anything they won't critique, if they have any questions, there's always someone in the group that can give some guidance. And the the numbers, it doesn't matter. You know, sometimes there's Mm -hmm. half a dozen, but mostly there's 15 to 20 people there. So it's really good. And I can't imagine ever dropping it. We might add some in person when and if we can occasionally, but some of the artists don't have transportation. Some of them have a bit of a disability that it's difficult to travel. Some of the artists that now attend are too far away to come away down to work credit for an hour, you know. So if artists want to get involved with Arts on the Credit and with the group, could they reach out to you through your website or Instagram? Yeah, definitely. Either or. 
Okay. And then we will we send out we send out the link or the ID number on for the Tuesday. It varies. We meet at seven. Sometimes we're finished at eight. Sometimes it goes on if there's a real conversation going on. I always ask everybody when we're wrapping up our conversation to talk about a book that inspires them. Is there one that you particularly like? I have a lot of how to books, but This book, and I bought it quite a while ago, and it's called The Creative Habit, Learn It and Use It for Life. And it's written by Twilla Tharp, who's the dancer. And when when that question was asked of me, I went and got it out again, and I thought, gee, this this is a good book, because at this point, I'm at a different place. Mm-hmm. And she just, she has such down-to-earth practical suggestions and makes everything seem okay to do. Mm-hmm. I think like, it's great, too, because it does go across disciplines. It's not just for dancers. Yeah. I've oh, read that book and I love it. It's just amazing things I've never heard anyone say, like, it's okay to copy someone when you're learning. She's not saying copy artists, famous artists, and make money. She's just saying it's a good way to learn how to do something, watch and copy, and move on when you've, you're happy with that. And just set goals, follow those goals, just have a reason for doing what you're doing, have mentors. It's just very practical, and as you say, it crosses all all means of all artistic means. Yeah, it's great advice. She definitely offers for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy read. It is an easy read. If anybody hasn't read it, they should go out and get it for sure. And there's exercises in there to follow. There are just playful type exercises in each chapter that will get you thinking differently at least for a while you know like here's one give me a week without mirrors or without clocks or without newspapers without speaking just to switch up your life a little bit and see what happens Well, thank you so much, Marie, for your time. It was wonderful hearing about how Arts on the Credit came about and your life as a weaver. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, you're very welcome. I feel honored after I've seen the various people that you have on your role to interview or have interviewed already. It should be very interesting podcasts, I must say. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.